Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Are the chief executive officers of major corporations astute enough to use social media to their own advantage? We're not talking about their company's official use of social media platforms to advance their products or services. We're talking about CEOs using social media to communicate directly with investors. Dr. Andrea Seaton Kelton, an associate professor of accounting, has co-authored a peer-reviewed article on CEO tweets and their impact on investors. It was published in the Journal of Information Systems in 2019. If you're an investor, does direct digital contact from a CEO carry any weight with you after this? Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Coronavirus distancing restrictions couldn't keep fraternities and sororities at MTSU from using online tools to continue their annual support of a popular student resource. As part of the annual Greek Week celebration, MTSU Fraternity and Sorority Life sponsored an almost week-long fundraising challenge that brought in $3,163 through online donations for the MTSU Student Food Pantry, a free resource of non-perishable food items for any enrolled student in need. Because distancing guidelines wouldn't allow the traditional accumulation of canned goods and perishable items to deliver directly to the pantry, this year's drive focused on raising funds through a challenge competition using the Venmo digital wallet platform. And as the virtual spring 2020 semester wound down, some students found themselves caught up in the digital divide. MTSU's University Writing Center has added document drop tutoring to its range of online services. A student can fill out an appointment form through the center's webpage and attach a piece of writing and an assignment sheet to it. A tutor will review the writing and any student concerns within a 45-minute time period. The tutor will upload feedback at the end of the session and send a client report form to the student via email. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Andrea, welcome back. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Now, first of all, how does the Securities and Exchange Commission feel about CEOs using social media? Well, it's an interesting topic, and it all came up in 2013. Netflix's CEO um, at the time had used his personal Facebook account to disclose information about an increase in viewership. And this information wasn't disclosed anywhere else, only on the CEO's personal Facebook page. And so the SEC put out some guidance and said that using social media is okay. Um, as long as investors are informed which sites, which social media sites a company and its executives are going to use. And as long as they provide that information, um, which sites are going to be used, then such disclosures are okay um, and in compliance with regulation fair disclosure. They're trying to prevent or or get a handle on the possibility of the use of social media to provide selective information to people that could be construed as insider trading information, right? That's right. And that's where regulation FD, regulation fair disclosure, came about is that the SEC was concerned about selective disclosure and only a, you know, a select group of investors having such information. And that was the concern. They hadn't addressed, addressed social media yet. Um, but the SEC's stance is as long as investors are told ahead of time 
that executives and firms are going to use specific social media sites, then it's okay to use those formats for information disclosure. So it would probably behoove the CEO to just have all the investors on a list serve and whatever he tells one, he tells all, right? That would be the safest thing to do. Well, I think so. But I think what's interesting about social media as a disclosure channel um, for firms and executives is it's it's more of a push technology as opposed to a pull technology. And in other words, if, if you're following a certain CEO on Twitter, for example, and they put that information out, you're automatically going to get it. Um, and so from the investor standpoint, I don't have to do any work. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you're right from that standpoint. If the SEC just, you know, discloses ahead of time in the 8K or even on the corporate website that, you know, I'm going to use Twitter to put information out there, um, and then it's, it's fine in accordance with the SEC. Now, how did you conduct your research into the impact of CEOs' social media? Once again, this experiment involved a hypothetical firm. This is not a firm that exists in reality. Tell us what you did. No, you're absolutely right. Um, although we based our information on real public disclosures from real firms, it was absolutely a hypothetical firm. Um, And so we were, my co-author and I were really interested in whether and how the use of social media for disclosure might impact investors in ways that had not yet been investigated. And so we set up an experiment um, using a hypothetical company. Um, We used non-professional investors in the experiment, and we created um, a series of information releases, so a series of press releases. And the first seven press releases that all participants viewed all conveyed good news about this hypothetical company. So a new product line, sales were increasing, et cetera. And then the last press release, again, that every participant received, said um, that the company was unexpectedly going to have to lay off a significant number of employees. So we wanted to have that, that piece of kind of bad news um, for investors. And so all participants received all that information in the same presentation format, all in a, in a web-based type environment. Well, then we got to our experimental manipulation. And what we wanted to test was whether or not the, the disclosure channel for how the CEO discusses this bad news with investors really matters. And so we randomly assigned half of the investors to receive the letter from the CEO about the layoffs in the same web-based format, and then the other half got it the same information in a series of tweets from the CEO. So we chose Twitter to examine because research shows that's one of the most popular social media um, applications used by CEOs. Um, And so, again, half received the letter from the CEO in tweets and half received it in a web-based format. And then we asked the investor participants some questions um, regarding their perceptions of the firm and specifically their perceptions of the CEO based on all that information. And then you threw them a curveball. You asked them to vote on a proposed raise for the CEO. So how did that turn out? We did. And, and, and um, this was another opportunity to investigate some, some recent regulation um, and specifically the Dodd-Frank Act, uh, which now gives investors a say on pay, uh, which is a a non-binding vote on any changes to CEO compensation. And so that was the specific question we were interested in, is whether or not investors' judgments regarding changes to CEO compensation would differ 
depending on whether they receive this information from the CEO in um, Twitter through a series of tweets or in a web-based format. And we found that, yes, it did matter <laughs> that um, the investor participants that received tweets from the CEO had a more positive overall perception of the CEO and, and were likely to give higher recommendations for compensation changes. So in, in, in other words, a raise. So even though we're living in the digital technology era and we're not living in the mom and pop store era where you could just walk down the street and say, hi, how's business going, Joe? Uh, the personal touch still matters in business, even if it's a large corporation using digital technology. That's true. It's absolutely true. And I think what was interesting about what we found is that these participants received one communication so one point of contact with the CEO in terms of the, the tweets um, and just that one point of contact mattered to make a difference. We'll take a break right here and explore this further in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms, there's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Our guest is Dr. Andrea Seaton-Kelton, an associate professor of accounting. She has co-authored a peer-reviewed article on tweets by CEOs and their impact on investors. One could make the argument that many people think CEOs are highly overpaid. So could social media by the CEO personally be used to somehow mitigate the ill will that might result from the announcement of a raise proposal? It could potentially, and that was part of our question and why we wanted to explore this. Um, assuming CEOs understand such impact and that using social media has persuasive effects over investors, which our study finds, then absolutely, um, that, that could be a reason why CEOs might choose to use social media for disclosure. Since these are non-professional investors, these are people who might have this firm in their 401k or their IRA, but they're not slavishly paying attention to every up and down in the Dow Jones Industrial Average like a professional investor would be. I'm wondering if another possible offshoot or area for future study could be whether the fact that they are non-professional and just sort of trust their economic advisor to manage their 401k or IRA or their mutual funds instead of someone who slavishly follows the market, if that could be a reason for the CEO tweets being effective because it is more personal, it's more of a connection, and if they don't have the expertise, then they might not be as jaded 
by a, a CEO tweet. Mm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do. And that, that's an interesting twist to it. My co-author, Robin Pennington, and I have been interested in non-professional investors as opposed to professional investors in our research for a lot of the reasons you've mentioned. Studies show that they're more likely to use intuition when making investment decisions. Um, they have much less experience with not only investing, but um, accounting and finance, which obviously matters in these type of decisions. Um, so they're more likely to have biased judgments and decisions and to be impacted by things such as presentation format and disclosure channel. So I, I do think that's, you know, one of the reasons that they're so interesting to study. And, and that's that's an aspect I haven't thought about is whether they're not as jaded yeah. as those who live and breathe investment every single day. Because your average non-professional investor, I would think, your hardworking person who wants their IRA or their 401k to serve as their retirement fund so they won't have to live in poverty in their sunset years, is working so hard and is so concerned with family and friends and church and this and that mm -hmm. that they probably don't follow the market the way they should. And they're depending upon their financial advisor to have a fiduciary responsibility to act mm -hmm. in the best interest of their client. Yeah, and that's a really good point. And a lot of non-professional investors do rely upon advisors. We try to focus our participant pool to those non-professional investors that actively trade themselves. So maybe not necessarily put money in a 401k and their employee mm -hmm. invests it for them. Because we wanted to tap into those mm -hmm. individuals who don't do this for a living. But maybe they're a day trader. Yes. Somebody possibly. like that. Yes, yes. They have a little bit more experience than, you know, the investor. Again, that's just relying on an advisor to 401k. Yeah. Why did you use Twitter as opposed to some other social media platform? Research has just shown that it's one of the most commonly used by firms and executives. So we wanted to make our experiment as realistic um, as possible. The, the term's externally valid. So we wanted our experimental condition, even though it was a hypothetical firm, to resemble reality as much as we could. Um, and studies do show that, you know, execs and firms are using Twitter, I think, because they like the condensed version of it and, and the, the quickness of it. That means that you had to make your CEO's tweet fit that character limitation, right? Was that a challenge? We did. We did. When we designed this, it was, you know, Twitter was still 140 characters and, and was very limited at the time in terms of graphics and pictures. And so we had to design the letter from the CEO so that it could be broken up into a series of individual tweets. The, was the letter terribly long that you put on the website? If I remember correctly, and I apologize, I don't remember, maybe six or seven tweets in total. The words used in both Twitter and the website, they were the exact same words. So the content of the letter from the CEO was exactly the same. We thought that was incredibly important. The only thing that differed is whether it came in Twitter from a series of tweets versus paragraph format, like you would see on a website, a corporate website. The website was expedient, but as a matter of course, generally speaking, would a firm also put something in snail mail like that letter and snail mail it to investors as well? Or would they stick to something that would have more immediacy? to it. Some firms do still send out hard copies of their annual report. Mm -hmm. uh, Warren Buffett's one of them. My dad gets <laughs> gets that annual report every year in the mail. Yeah, Warren's doing pretty well. <laughs> yes, and he's highly <laughs> successful. I do know a lot of firms have quit 
unless you write corporate relations or, or call them up and ask for a hard copy mm-hmm. of it because they provide on their on their corporate websites the information in a variety of formats. You can get it PDF, Excel, Word, HTML, yeah. whatever you want. I still get prospectuses in the mail and I'm told nobody <laughs> reads a prospectus, including the people who write yep. the prospectus. Yep, I get them too. I think a lot of that with prospectuses is, is legally required. But a letter like this, I would say no. Most of the times when, you, when CEOs put out letters or or quick announcements. They'll do it like this where they'll put it in social media or they'll put it on the corporate website and they'll tweet out a link, mm-hmm. the URL to the corporate website, um, because the goal is really to get that information out there quickly. Right. Um, and and most investors are are plugged in somehow mm-hmm. to some type of social media or you know the corporate website and the goings on electronically. Do CEOs of large companies even think about social connectedness with investors? Is that on their radar, or is that something that your study could enlighten them about so that they could? become more socially connected? I think some are. Um, there, there is this term called the social CEO that uh, researchers refer to the, the practice of using social media. And there was a, a survey done and, and our paper cites it and talks a little bit about it where they asked CEOs, you know, why do you do this? Because there's also the risk, you know, mm-hmm. there's the legal risk of, of the use of social media. Depends on how you phrase what you write. <laughs> Absolutely. It depends on what you say and how you say it. Uh, and a lot of CEOs did respond that they use social media to build trust with stakeholders, to establish relationships, and even to improve their own reputation. Um, So I'm not sure whether they're intentionally thinking about persuasion like we saw in our study, um, but that's absolutely an area that needs to be researched. I'm thinking that the the image of a CEO, the public image, is one who operates in something of a rarefied air, with the exception of someone like Warren Buffett or the late Lamar Hunt. Mm -hmm. who had reputations for being grounded and down to earth. Lamar Hunt, were he still alive, might be using social media today. He's the kind of guy who brought a hamburger to lunch with him every day. You know, he had a sort of a lunch bucket mentality. The image of a corporate CEO is not someone who operates in the same sphere as Joe Blow, who invests in his company. Yes, absolutely. And so I think that's part of it in terms of, you know, really reaching out to not just investors, but also consumers um, and customers and and others that are going to interact with the firms. And so I think social media or CEOs, excuse me, are trying to use social media to do that, to break down the borders and to change perceptions of them, particularly given, as you mentioned earlier, the the backlash that's happened recently in terms of excess compensation and and the corporate failures and things like that. Time for another break. We'll return in a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. 
We're talking about CEOs of corporations using social media to communicate with investors. Dr. Andrea Seaton-Kelton, an associate professor of accounting, has co-authored a study on that very subject, which was published in the Journal of Information Systems. Here's a question that is not within the scope of your study, but it's intriguing to think about. President Trump's use of Twitter to communicate directly with his political base and one could argue that it's been very effective in communicating with the base, uh, not necessarily the country as a whole. And uh, he is, as president, CEO of the country, and he has been CEO of his own business. Did that have anything to do with the idea behind this research, or uh, is that a totally separate subject? It absolutely did. And not President Trump himself. Um, this research is a long time coming. But this idea of using social media to influence others actually comes out of research in political science um, and communications. And so it was fun for us to accountants, to accounting professors, <laughs> to kind of dive into that research. And, and that's where it's been studied quite a bit. President Obama, there was actually a lot of studies in his election because that was kind of the first where social media was really used and there was some research that came about from his election and his campaign, and some even in other countries. There was a study in, in the Chinese context looking at that. And that's really where kind of the idea was was further developed, and particularly in terms of the construct parasocial interaction that we used in the paper to kind of explain the results we were finding that that essentially came out of, of political science research and communications research. That's interesting. Uh, I also wonder whether Trump used Twitter extensively as a CEO before he even ran for president to communicate with his. Well, he didn't have investors. His his He didn't take his company mm -hmm. public. Mm -hmm. So that that really wouldn't be an issue. Mm -hmm. That's in a good that question. Regard. I don't know if, if his use of social media is newfound uh -huh. um, since the presidency. I'm yeah. not sure, but that's a great question. Okay. Now, social media used by a company is usually under the control of a unit, mm -hmm. PR, marketing mm -hmm. and communications, mm -hmm. and they usually want to keep a pretty tight handle on it and limit the number of people who have access to the company's social media account because they want a certain continuity of message mm -hmm. there. Uh, no rogue elephants <laughs> spreading things that shouldn't be spread. Mm -hmm. But a CEO is going to be a lone agent, his or her own operator, if he or she chooses to use Twitter to communicate with the investors. So what if you have a CEO who has no filter in his or her use of a personal media account? What's that going to do with the to the company? Well, I think Elon Musk is probably a recent good example of that. <laughs> um, I think certainly CEOs can find themselves in a bit of trouble. Um, and you're absolutely right. Any corporate disclosures that come out, whether it's financial statements or letters from the CEOs, the lawyers are going to be all over them. There's just too much risk, the Securities Acts, um, and et cetera. There's just too much risk to the organization. Um, but that's one of the the challenges of social media is because it's it's quick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's a it's a pro and a con. Um, and so they they can certainly find themselves in some trouble. Um, you know, whether it's fines by the SEC or other regulatory bodies, if you know they don't follow the guidelines in terms of you know fair disclosure and and things like that. So it can certainly have some downside. But if he or she is the CEO. Uh, the CEO could say, I'm the CEO. I don't have to run it past anybody before I send it out into the ether. So, you know, with with the exception of the SEC, there is no guardrail, right? 
Um, for publicly company for public traded companies, the SEC is the the authoritative guidance. And so, mm-hmm. in terms of monitoring disclosures and whether you're wearing you know your CEO hat or it's coming from the firm, mm-hmm. you know the CEO is monitoring and they're watching. Uh, we touched on this briefly with another question, but are there other uh, areas that you think your study could be used as a jumping off point? to explore related issues in other uh, studies, other types of research? In other contexts? Yes. Yes. I've thought a lot about um, the non-for-profit setting in terms of nonprofits, you know, trying to generate donations um, Mm -hmm. and things like that. I think that's an avenue for additional research, um, certainly, or even in the consumer context in terms of new product development or competition along the ways. Um, so, so I do think there's a lot of a lot of opportunities here. Um, I do. I am interested in the points you brought up about the CEO, mm-hmm. whether certain factors influence whether the CEO. You know, given all the risks you've talked about too. Yeah. You know, it's it's a risk, an undertaking to kind of put that tweet out there. And so, are there are there factors in the environment that might influence whether or not a CEO would choose to tweet versus you know let's just run it through the lawyers and put it on the website and maybe mm-hmm. be a little bit safer. Yeah, we're talking about a CEO tweeting to investors. We're not talking about him tweeting a picture of his cat to his next door neighbor. You know, <laughs> this this is a this is a business tweet done in a very personal way. Absolutely, and and it's actually if you follow some of the there's some CEOs that are, are pretty fa- infamous for their social media use, and what you'll find actually is that they mix both. I mean, they'll mm-hmm. they'll talk about personal mm-hmm. personal issues, whether it's their cat or the vacation they're on using the same account, but they'll also talk about earnings, quarterly mm-hmm. earnings. Um, and so they do mix it again, I think, to kind of break down those barriers and to to, to change their perceived reputation. To show their human side. That's right, right, to show the human side. And w- with reference to the 501c3s, they have their own set of regulations they have to adhere to if they want to uh, uh, stay in good with the IRS and keep that nonprofit status. Absolutely. That's right. But But you know, these nonprofits have such a hard time generating donations. And I think it's an interesting avenue in terms of, you know, the persuasive effects, mm-hmm. uh, but looking at potential donors maybe as opposed to investors and whether mm-hmm. the same effects hold. The article was published in the Journal of Information Systems in 2019, and it is titled, If You Tweet, They Will Follow, CEO Tweets, Social Capital, and Investor Say-On-Pay Judgments by Robin Pennington at North Carolina State and our guest, Andrea Seaton-Kelton. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference at MTSU for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun, hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For more information, visit mtsunews.com. The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. 
MTSU commercial songwriting students haven't let a pandemic keep them from collaborating. An assignment on songs of social commentary turned into an unexpectedly soothing and inspiring music video. Songwriting program director Odie Blackman explains how a song composed and recorded by senior Caitlin Eady called Rise Up, One Nation Under Love, mastered by Professor Robert Jason, and combined with the faces of songwriting students, faculty, and staff, is bringing a little magic to the world. I knew the time was perfect to give them a history of songs of social commentary, starting with Woody Guthrie's This Land Is Your Land and Bob Dylan's Blown in the Wind, going to NWA, straight out of Compton. They were instructed to write songs of what was important to them, Caitlin did a perfect job of balancing what's going on right now. This song could have been relevant during the 9-11 era. It could be relevant 20 years from now. That, to me, is a true, timeless song. That's MTSU on the record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.